Alright, so yesterday we had lecture one, introduction to Homer's Odyssey. We talked about three of the four epics that came between the Iliad and the Odyssey. Today we're going to talk about the fourth of those, uh, the returns, as well as the beginning, the opening of the Odyssey, and some of the major themes and characters that we are going to run into during that time. So, the returns. After the sack of Ilium, which we talked about yesterday, where we saw some very tragic things happen, I asked the lesser abduct, um... Cassandra from the Temple of Athena, where she was attempting to take refuge. Priam getting his head cut off. Astyanax being thrown from a wall by Neoptolemus or by Odysseus, as well as several other very sad sorts of things. In any case, uh, the uh, Troy has fallen. It has been sacked, and those people are now spread about. We will hook back up with the Trojans when we read the Aeneid um, after... Uh, uh, reading a couple other things after the Odyssey. We're going to read the Odyssey. We'll have a couple plays by Sophocles, the Antigone, as well as um, Oedipus Tyrannus. And then we will have a chance to get to the Aeneid. We might have a couple philosophers between them, to Plato and Aristotle. In any case, the sack of Ilium leads to the returns by Agius of Troizen. And what happens first? Athena causes a quarrel between Agamemnon and Menelaus about the voyage from Troy. The quarrel is about, should they sacrifice to the gods before they leave, or should they just leave? Agamemnon thinks, yes, stay on and sacrifice to the gods. Menelaus thinks, no. Menelaus will then leave and get hit by a storm that will cause him to take seven years to get back home. Agamemnon will get home fairly safely. Who is right? Uh, perhaps you would think Agamemnon at first, but when we see what waits for Agamemnon at home, perhaps he was wrong. Because even though it will be the case that Menelaus will take several more years to get home than Agamemnon, it will be the case that Agamemnon will die upon setting foot at home. Not directly, but because of the uh, machinations of his wife and cousin Aegisthus. In any case, there are several Achaeans who do get home safely. Diomedes gets home safely, though there is uh, a story that his wife Aegealia will uh, will divorce him or send him away precisely because of his feud with Aphrodite from Book 5 of the Iliad. Uh, not wise to contend with Olympian gods, even if told to by an Olympian god. Nestor makes it home. We'll see him in Book 3 of the Odyssey in Sandy Pylos. He will be an example of good hospitality, good Xenia. Xenia is, of course, one of the major themes of the Odyssey. We'll see several people and sorts of races and creatures that do not give good Xenia, the Lysergones, for example, the Lotus Eaters, potentially, the Cacones, as well as the Cyclopes, Circe, Calypso, all sorts of people that have problems, but we'll see examples of good Xenia as well. We'll see these two characters, Floetius and uh, Minoetius, uh, who have, not Minoetius, excuse me, Floetius and Eumaeus, excuse me, who will be, who will give good hospitality, but mainly we'll see Nestor and um, Menelaus as well. Nestor in book three, as well as Menelaus in book four. In any case, Philoctetes, who we just learned about yesterday, who had the bow of Heracles, who helped to kill Paris, of all people, makes it home safely. That's nice to hear after his 10-year-long snake bite wound uh, that was untended and uncared for by the Achaeans, thanks to Odysseus. And Idomeneus makes it home safely. Now, something sad about Idomeneus making it home safely, and which you will certainly hear about in, I believe, book three of the Aeneid, is that Idomeneus really wanted to make it home. So he makes a prayer to Poseidon when he is in a storm. The first thing that I see when I get back to my shores, I will sacrifice if you allow me to come home. Probably thinking that he sees something like a fox or a seagull or something that would, you know, not be that big a deal to sacrifice. Unfortunately, his son was waiting for him at the, uh, at the beach. And this is one of those examples of 
Maybe you should not keep the oath to the gods. But that is not what Idomeneus does. He sees his son first. He then um, sacrifices his son and then brings plague onto his city. In fact, when Aeneas goes to his city, it will be empty. And he will try and inhabit it, but the plague will still be there. So plague comes when one dirties one's hands. And especially when one unjustly kills somebody, especially when somebody does, pollutes the family in some way in Greek mythology. In any case, sorry, Edominius, uh, bummer. All right. After them, Menelaus sets out and reaches Egypt. He reaches Egypt, even though he's going for uh, Sparta, which is in a different continent. One is, of course, European. One is, of course, African, because he gets hit by a storm. It will take him seven years to get home, even though he greatly enriches himself amongst the Egyptians. Something to know about uh, the Egyptians to the Greeks is, the Egyptians are to the Greeks essentially what the Greeks and the Romans are to us as Americans. They were considered the wise ancients who knew magical spells and potions and wisdom that was unknown to the Greeks and the Romans. So the fact that uh, uh, um, Menelaus gets to spend several, several years there means that he greatly enriched his knowledge and even his physical possessions. The Egyptians were considered a very wealthy, vastly wealthy people. And so he does get really rich. And his wife will learn uh, uh, many potions. In fact, something we'll see her do in book four is she'll take a plant called nepenthe, which means no pain, and will put it into the drinks of the men, and then they will not feel any pain. We'll see a couple, we'll see two or three drugs during the course of the Odyssey. Uh, in this case, it seems sort of neutral. In another case, amongst the lotus eaters, we'll see that it's uh, definitively negative. Just any distraction from getting home, any distraction from your goal, which will later be defined as sin by uh, Dante in, in the Christian tradition. Well, in this Odyssey tradition, anything that keeps you from your goal is bad. And, uh, well, that is what Lotus is. In any case, there are some people also alongside the prophet Calchas, Leontes, and Polypoetes. You don't know about Leontes and Polypoetes. But they go to a land called Colophon and bury Tiresias, who died there. Tiresias is a character that you'll need to know in Book 11 of the Odyssey. You'll also need to know him during the Antigone. Uh, and uh, Oedipus Tyrannus, which are coming up soon. Uh, they're under 2,000 lines, so we'll go through them very quickly. He is the most famous prophet of the Greek world. He is a Theban prophet. He is blind, just like Homer was, and he is always right. And in fact, when Odysseus needs to find out why a god is angry with him and what he can do about it during the course of the Odyssey, he will have to travel to the underworld to find this Tiresias. And this Tiresias, unlike the mindless people around him, the mindless shades they'll be described as, like birds tweeting about, he keeps his mind. But he will drink some blood that Odysseus will prepare for him as a potion uh, that is told to Odysseus by a sea witch named Circe. Um, then he will gain his powers of prophecy back, and he will be able to guide Odysseus appropriately. So Tiresias is going to be a big-time figure in uh, the next several uh, works that we're going to read. And in fact, he will figure... And Dante's Inferno. He will be thrown down in hell by Dante. And we'll see his daughter there too, Manto. Um, in any case, Agamemnon. While he's sailing away, the ghost of Achilles appears to him. The ghost of Achilles apparently gets around a little bit. And what it tries to say to him is, when you go home, be careful. Because there's a trifling lady there. And she's your wife. And she's going to try and kill you. And is essentially what he says. Agamemnon uh, decides not to take this advice. He seems to still be sort of stubborn, sort of proud, and uh, sort of unwilling to uh, see the truth at times. And, well, this may very well lead to his demise as 
uh, we've been uh, sort of waiting for since the very first book of the Iliad. In any case, there is a storm. Ah, yes. Justice is about to occur. So we recall that Aias the Lesser abducted, raped um, Cassandra in the temple of a virgin goddess, Athena, which is about the worst thing you can possibly imagine in the Greek religion. Uh, uh, that is a place of sanctity, and sanctity to a goddess who is known to be virginal. The idea is that she wants to stay pure. She wants to stay uh, un unalloyed, you might say, or uh, unharried. Well, Aias the Lesser uh, 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 committed sacrilege, during the sacking of Troy, and well, when sacrilege occurs, then the gods take punishment in these uh, Greek times and these Olympian times. And so what do they do? Well, Athena sends a storm uh, along these rocks called the Caferides. It takes down Aya Celeste's ship, takes down all of Aya's men, but Aya Celeste somehow survives it. And he's grabbing onto a ledge, and there's a very famous picture of him grabbing onto this ledge. He just happens to be very nude during it, and uh, so I'm not including it. Here, but what happens is he's on this ledge, and then he starts to scream. Not even the gods can take out Aias the Lesser. Which is funny that he says that, because he's actually saved by a god, Poseidon, from going down with the ship. And so, when he says, not even the gods can take down Aias the Lesser, even Poseidon leaves his side. Poseidon takes his trident, breaks the rock that Aias the Lesser was on, that's what this image is. You see Poseidon here with his trident and his three horses. Casting Aias the Lesser into the depths, Aias the Lesser uh, crossed the gods one too many times, uh, which is one more time than most people get. He crossed them twice. And so he goes down to Davy Jones' locker, the bottom of the ocean. Aias the Lesser now joins Aias the Greater, uh, as well as, um, who else? Uh, yes, Achilleus. He's now dead. So, sorry, Aias the Lesser. In any case, Neoptolemus, warned by Thetis, then jo journeys over land. He doesn't want to hit that storm, smart of him to listen to Thetis, his grandmother. He comes into Thrace, meets Odysseus at Mero Meronea. Uh, that's the last time we'll see Odysseus. He's going to disappear for several years after this. And then, very sadly, uh, Phoenix on the way home to see Peleus and Thea finally dies. Though, perhaps not so sad, because Phoenix, of course, was like uh, the great uncle-slash-mentor to Achilleus. Achilleus is dead. Perhaps Phoenix now thinks that it's his time to go as well. And he does get to die at the end of the story, that seems sort of uh, appropriate. In any case, um, Neoptolemus, who had never met his grandfather, Peleus, Peleus who now has no heir because his only son was Achilleus, who is now dead, who recall Achilleus cried about this fact, that his dad would be old and people might want his land and nobody could help him to defend himself. Well, Neoptolemus shows up, Peleus recognizes that that's his grandson, and he uh, adopts him, takes him on as the person to inherit his lands. That said, Neoptolemus is going to run into some troubles with uh, a man we're going to know very well soon, uh, named Orestes. Something interesting about that. Recall, who are the two men that came into conflict at the beginning of the Iliad? Yes? Uh, uh, Achilleus and Agamemnon. Achilleus' son is Neoptolemus. Agamemnon's son is Orestes. Their sons will come into conflict. And their sons will come into conflict, can you guess over what? A woman, of course. But which woman? The daughter of Helen. And it's almost like you can see from one generation to the other, history doing what? Repeating itself. Except for in this case, Agamemnon's son is going to get uh, the better of Achilleus' son, which I can only imagine. Because Agamemnon and Achilleus, uh, apparently, they don't hang out together down in the underworld, but they're close enough to each other to where Odysseus will talk to Agamemnon and then to Achilleus. I can only imagine the kind of smack 
if Agamemnon would then talk to Achilles, he'd be like, oh, he might have been stronger than me, but, you know, the boy, he gotcha. In any case, that, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in Book 11 of the Odyssey. All right, now I have to tell you about something that we've been preparing for since the first book of the Iliad, perhaps even before. So, actually, before, remember, all the way back in the beginning of the Iliad, or the beginning of this class, really, before we even started the Iliad, we talked about the causes of the Trojan War. We talked about Paris, getting that apple, giving it to Aphrodite, choosing, uh, even though he had a wife who was a Nantang, Enone, uh, the most beautiful woman in the world. He kind of foolishly thought that was Aphrodite, but it's actually Helen and she was already married. Okay, cool, yeah, 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 yeah. We remember also after that story that when Agamemnon summoned an army to him for Menelaus, that they uh, were going to disembark from a place called Aulis. We also recall that Artemis turned the winds against them and that Agamemnon had to make a terrible choice and a terrible sacrifice. He had to sacrifice his daughter Iphigenia. But, remember this detail. In order to sacrifice his daughter Iphigenia, he had to deceive his wife into sending Iphigenia to him. Deceive his wife. He had to lie to her. He said, Oh, wife, send Iphigenia down to Alice. She's going to marry Achilles, which wife was very happy about. But then when uh, daughter Iphigenia gets to them, she gets sacrificed alive and has to die. Wife was not very happy about that. Now, Agamemnon spends 10 years away from wife. What happens during those 10 years? Well, we'll hear some details about this. But essentially, Agamemnon sets somebody to watch over Clytemnestra. I believe he was a poet of some sort. Well, Agamemnon had a guy who grew up in his household who was his stepbrother, who he thought was his actual brother, who was actually his cousin. So, sorry, had a person grow up in his house who he thought was his brother named Aegisthus was actually his cousin, the son of Thiestes. And, well, I guess those, uh, through some interesting events, finds out that he's actually the cousin of Agamemnon, and therefore, because his father, Thiestes, hates Agamemnon's father, Atreus, decides to kill Agamemnon's father, Atreus, which he successfully does. Now, later Agamemnon, with the help of Menelaus and the forces of Tyndareus, will come back and push the son of Thiestes out of his lands and retake over Argos. Now, that guy, Aegisthus, who had killed his father, is still very much alive. Agamemnon leaves for a war. What does he do? Well, first he gets rid of, first he gets rid of um, <laughs> the poet who was supposed to look over Clytemnestra. He takes him to a deserted island and leaves him there. I guess he starves or something like that. Uh, very interesting. Uh, in any case, he does that, and then he seduces Clytemnestra. Clytemestra, uh, you would imagine, would be fairly open to the seduction simply because Aegisthus and she possibly have very similar goals. Aegisthus wants his power back and therefore wants to kill Agamemnon just as Agamemnon had defeated him in battle and taken Argos back from him after he had stolen it from Agamemnon's father. Uh, remember the story of the scepter of Agamemnon? It came from uh, Hephaestus and then to Zeus and then down to Hermes and then it was Atreus's, then it was Thiestes's. Then it was Agamemnon's, even though it should have gone from Atreus to Agamemnon, but, you know, that's how power changes hands, not necessarily uh, patrilineally uh, uh, and without violence. In any case, Aegisthus wants his power back. Clytemestra wants vengeance. And so she and Aegisthus hook up, and Aegisthus starts to reign in the absence of Agamemnon. When Agamemnon shows back up, uh, Clytemestra supposedly, and this is from a very famous uh, play called The Agamemnon, rolls out purple for him, and uh, he steps on it. And this is supposed to be an act of hubris, because only the gods are supposed to walk on purple, um, because it's a godly color. It's now our royal color, gold and purple, both uh, royal colors. These days, um, you see crowns of gold and 
And it's interesting, on crucifixes during, during Easter, you'll see purple, sometimes red. So some idea of blood, some idea of royal blood, or godly blood, in purple there. In any case, Agamemnon sits down to a feast, and that is when, and it depends on the account, either Clytemestra kills him, or I guess this kills him. One small detail that's often added is that Clytemestra refuses even to close his eyes after killing him. That said, he has a son named Orestes, who then has to flee, because he's the sole heir. And if he's the heir to the throne, but Aegisthus wants to stay king, what does Aegisthus have to do to Orestes? Has to kill him. That's right. So Orestes flees, is raised in another home by, uh, I, I don't know by the man whom, but grows up with a great friend named Pylades. They come back to, uh, eventually, uh, Argos, and they take vengeance, which is kind of a difficult thing. Nobody cares that Aegisthus gets killed, honestly speaking, but the fact that uh, Orestes kills his own mother, Clytemestra, is uh, very difficult. Because on the one hand, he has avenged the death of his father and king. That's a good thing. But on the other hand, he has killed the queen and his mother. That's a bad thing. And so, uh, has he done a good or a bad thing? Has he done a legal or an illegal thing? In fact, there's a very famous play about that called The Eumenides, where it is determined by a vote of three to two that he did the right thing. Um, and in fact, it's funny, because I lectured on Pylades and Orestes in the context of the Purgatorio yesterday. They, uh, they, they come up again, interestingly enough. Again, history will just keep repeating itself. Uh, that said, that is the context in which we will come into the Odyssey. This kid, Orestes, he's about 20. He has already done incredible things and avenged the death of his father. But then you're going to meet Odysseus' son. His name's Telemachus. He's sitting around getting bullied by suitors. Very different sorts of people, pretty much the exact same age. And so, Orestes will be used as a model for what Telemachus can become. But is not yet. Alright, good. So... Homer's Odyssey. More details about it. So we finished talking about the returns there. Let's uh, reiterate a couple things. It begins in the 10th year after the Trojan War. You can see a common theme here in these great epics. Just as the Iliad begins in the 10th year of a 10-year-long war, the Odyssey begins in the 10th year of a 10-year-long journey. It takes Odysseus 10 years to get home. He thought it was long when it took Menelaus 7 years, and it was long. That said, it takes Odysseus 10 years, and he misses a ton of stuff. In fact, he's going to have to learn a lot of this stuff uh, during the course of his journey and when he gets back, and so are we. It's almost like uh, part of life is not only experiencing life, but then reflecting on life afterwards in order to see what really happened. Very interesting idea. In any case, just to reiterate this, Aias the Lesser, Aias the Greater, Agamemnon, Achilleus, Phoenix even, they're all dead. Sad. Troy is fallen. Diomedes, Philoctetes, Nestor, Idomeneus, Moriones, and Menelaus all get home safely, though, of course, it took Menelaus seven years, and he was in Egypt, even though he greatly enriched himself. You might say that he, great, he became far poorer than he became rich, because what did he lose during that time? Not only time, which is perhaps more valuable than gold, but also his brother, Agamemnon, was killed, and he was not there. And he takes that seriously, because you recall Agamemnon and Menelaus, they're very close. They always spent time together. They spent 10 years fighting a war. Agamemnon raised an army for Menelaus. They love each other. They like each other a lot, too. And so Menelaus is deprived of something that is of utmost value to him for the rest of his life. And you might even want to think about it like this, too. He does get his wife back, but does he get his wife back? Is Helen even the same to him 
after a 10-year-long war where he's lost so much to get her back, where she's been married to two additional men, Paris and Deiphobos, is she the same person to Menelaus at this point as she was before the war? The answer is almost certainly what? No. So it's almost like Menelaus, even though he's gained so much, has lost what? Everything. That's right. The wife that he got back is more like a ghost wife than a real one here because his idea of her is very different from the actuality of her. And then, of course, his best friend slash father, or now father, excuse me, brother, is now gone as well. So as much as he now has, he's a winner of a war, he has great Cleos, he has great amounts of wealth, perhaps he has less than anybody. Except for Odysseus, who hasn't even gotten home yet. Uh, Odysseus definitely has less. In any case, where is Odysseus? Odysseus is in a liminal space, a place like Limbo. It's like he's between the world of the living and the dead. He's in a place called Ogygia. Ogygia reminds us very much of the Garden of Eden. Why? Well, in art, you'll see it's very beautiful. It's usually golden, green. Uh, it has trees that grow all sorts of beautiful and tasty fruits. Everything grows there without being, uh, without being harvested, uh, or excuse me, without the plow ever touching anything. Uh, no farming has to occur for food to be produced. But it will be the same case on the island of the Cyclopes as well. Um, uh, it is an ageless island where people do not age. In fact, Calypso will offer uh, Odysseus immortality and he'll still say no, which I think says something interesting both about Odysseus and human nature. It's almost like if you had to exist in a place where you could live no story, but you would never die, would that be better than living out a full story, but having to die? Similar to the choice that Achilles has to make. And, well, Odysseus makes a choice, I would say, similar to Achilles. He chooses to live, even though life is full of suffering and death and terror. And in fact, uh, after he makes that choice, uh, his next uh, uh, 22 or so days are very, very difficult. In fact, uh, Odysseus will be given the choice by Calypso. She'll say, stay here. Be my, be my husband. I'll make you a god. Just like Tithonus, the, uh, the husband of Don. There's something interesting about that example. Um, Rosy-fingered Dawn, who you'll uh, hear about quite a few times at the beginning of books, uh, Rhododactylus Eos in the Greek, she, uh, she once took a lover who was a mortal man, and she asked Zeus, and this is one of those gift of the magi or genie sorts of situations where you've got to be careful what you wish for. She said, make my husband immortal. And Zeus said, okay. But she left out one bit. Apparently, that's not all she needed to ask for. Because to be immortal means you never die. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't ever age. And so, her husband just kept getting older and older and older and older until he's so old that he couldn't do anything and then he just gets turned into a cricket. The idea seems to be that, are humans supposed to be immortal? No, you're supposed to be young and do young people things, and then be kind of middle-aged and do middle people things, or middle-aged people things, and then be old and do old people things. Like, tell stories like Nestor. And um, that seems to be a full human life. That seems to be the best we can imagine. That said, Odysseus is being offered a chance to be a god and to be immortal, and he will give up that chance. Though, I think that might be a hard choice for all of us. All right, just some things to say. Odysseus is trapped on an island named Ojiji. It is a magical island with a uh, ruler, a soul ruler, named Calypso. Something interesting about her name. Uh, the tree eucalyptus is named for the same word as Calypso. Calypso is the... First person singular indicative active of the word kalupto in Greek. Kalupto means to cover or to hide. 
So it's like Odysseus is what at this island? Hidden. Very good. It's like he's hidden. And in fact, it's very interesting because while he as a person is hidden, his kleos, his glory, his story will grow. In fact, the first place that we go with him in book six will be the five teen island of Scoria. And there we'll meet a, speak, uh, a singer uh, named Demodocus who will, think, who will sing three songs to us. Two of those songs will feature Odysseus, which means that Odysseus has gotten pretty what? If people are singing about him. Famous, right? Exactly. All right. A uh, bit of a negative here, too. Uh, Odysseus, and you will learn about this in book nine, happened to incur the wrath of a god, Poseidon. Poseidon had a son who was a cyclops, that's a giant in this case with one eye, who, because of, because of good reason, Odysseus had to poke the eye out of this son of Poseidon. But then he reveals his name to that son, that son curses him, and then Poseidon hates him. So, because he's poked out the eye of one of the sons of Poseidon, Poseidon now hates uh, Odysseus and has cursed him. And part of the curse is either he will never make it home, that's not going to happen, or when he does get home, it will take a long time, he will have no companions, he will have no ship, and uh, remember he starts with 10 ships, uh, or 12 ships in this case, uh, he will have no companions, and his house will be in a bad state. Which means that uh, since everybody assumes he's dead, and his wife is very eligible, and his lands are very wealthy, a bunch of men from Ithaca, sons of men who went off to fight in Troy, are trying to court his wife. And they're coming there every single day for three whole years. And they're punking Telemachus, so like, get away, nerd. Uh, and they're eating his food, and they're drinking his wine. Now, that is a major trespass on the Xenia. The Xenia, remember, guest-host relationship. Comes from the word Xenos, which means foreigner, guest, host, stranger, and friend. It means all those things because it's a very complicated relationship. Well, part of that is reciprocity. You come to someone's house when they invite you. You bring a gift. They give you a guest gift. You leave when they wish you to. If you continue to stay at their home even after they want you to leave and continue to eat their food, you're like a burglar, a criminal. You are definitely acting against the Xenia. Remember which god maintains the Xenia. It's the big one named Zeus. And so the suitors are doing a very, very, very bad and troubling thing. And in fact, uh, an interesting thing that you might wonder is, why doesn't Zeus just throw a lightning bolt at them? In the Odyssey, the gods do not do for humans what the humans can do for themselves. They will guide the humans. But they will not do for the humans what they must. In fact, something to know about the suitors is there are 108 of them. There's one Telemachus, there's one Odysseus. They will be expected together to take those 108 out. And so, uh, you, you, you will see all throughout the Odyssey that Odysseus finds himself in bad situation after bad situation after bad situation. Um, and perhaps that is a symbol for what a human life is, and why you need a mind, and what the importance of a mind is. Because what's going to get you out of a bad situation better than your head? Or what is your best chance to get out of a bad situation if you're in one? Indeed. Indeed. Alright, major characters here. Uh, and uh, then, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to read one more thing after this. So, I just want to know a little bit about these characters. Notice the color coding here. I have... Uh, people who are supportive of Odysseus and Telemachus in light blue, just like I had the Achaeans in light blue. I have people who are antagonistic to them in red, just like I had the Trojans in red. So you notice in blue up there, Telemachus, Penelope, Eurycleia, 
Mentor, Laertes, Eumaeus, Philoetius. These are all characters that are friendly, allies. Uh, some of them, it will take some time to meet. We won't meet them until we're essentially back in Ithaca. Eumaeus and Philoetius in particular. Uh, Laertes as well. We won't see him until uh, way late in the Odyssey. That said, we will meet Telemachus, Penelope, and Eurycleia very early on. Because, as I told you, the first four books of the Odyssey, even though we want to see Odysseus, for which the Odyssey is named, we will not see Odysseus. We're going to see Telemachus. And those four books are called the Telemachy. So, Telemachus is Odysseus' son. And, well, it will be a big question to him whether he is actually Odysseus' son, because he's heard so many great things about what his father has done, but he himself uh, seems quite wanting in the greatness department. Penelope is a very famous, very wise, very intelligent wife of Odysseus. So wise that she came up with a stratagem that kept the suitors off her back for three years. She said, listen, I'm not going to marry any of you until I make this shroud for the father of Odysseus, Laertes. And she would weave it during the day, she would unweave it at the night. But then, very recently, in the last few days apparently, one of her serving maids ratted her out. So she's going to have to make a decision very, very soon. And so Penelope has a very tough choice to make. Stay at home, where the suitors are going to eat out her house and home, and continue to steal, essentially, from her son, or marry one of these suitors, and risk Odysseus showing back up and killing the suitor and her. Uh, one of the problems of this book, this poem, is that nobody really knows how to act without having uh, definitive information on whether Odysseus is alive or dead. It's very unclear whether we should move on or stay still. And, uh, well, that, that is very tough when you do not know whether someone is alive or dead. In any case, two people I really want you to know about from here. They are the leaders of the suitors. They are Antinous and Eurymachus. We'll meet them in book two during an assembly that Telemachus calls. The first assembly that has been called since Odysseus left, uh, uh, at that point, 20 years beforehand. Mentor is the man who was left in charge of the house of Odysseus. And uh, notice the characters here who are half purple, half blue. Athena is going to spend some time in the first few books uh, impersonating people. First, she's going to impersonate a traveler named Mentes. Then she is going to impersonate a uh, very wise character named Mentor. In fact, she'll even impersonate Telemachus at one point while she tries to get a crew for a ship that he will take to see uh, Nestor at Pylos and then uh, later uh, take a chariot to see Menelaus. Uh, she will leave the company of Telemachus uh, in the form of a bird uh, in book three in front of Nestor, which will make him think that Telemachus is as special as Odysseus because apparently the gods love him and spend as much time with him as uh, the gods spent with Odysseus in any case. <laughs> Any of these people I really want you to know? Alright, since I'm going to be sending this to you, I want you just to familiarize yourself with this funny cartoonish picture because it will do a good job of letting you know some of these major characters. Uh, here are some love interests of Odysseus. We'll talk about them soon. Not only Calypso, but also a sea witch named Circe. And also a young lady, probably around 14, marriageable age at this time, uh, named Nausicaa, or Nausicaa as I usually say it. All these names can be said in uh, differing ways. Uh, correctly, but all, in more ways incorrectly. In case, uh, we'll talk more about this later. So, I'm now going to read to you, and this will be the last thing that we do today, the first ten lines of this poem, this the so-called poem. Tell me, muse, of the man of many ways, that's Odysseus, who was driven far journeys after he had sacked Troy's sacred citadel. Many were they whose cities he saw, whose minds he learned of, many the pains he suffered, in his spirit on the wide sea, 
struggling for his own life and the homecoming of his companions. Even so, he could not save his companions. Hard though he strove to, they were destroyed by their own wild recklessness. That will be a major theme. When you don't use your head, you make mistakes, you might die. And in the Odyssey, you'll probably die. Fools who devoured the oxen of Helios, the sun god, and he took away the day of their homecoming, I thought, just for fun, I'd show you a Greek tale. Odyssea. Andromoi enapamusa polutropon hos malapola plankthe epitores yeron ptoliechron epersi polondanthroponi de nastea kai noam egno poladoho gen panto pathenagia hon kata thumon. Arnumenos hen te suken kai nostan hetaron al udhos hetarus erusato hiemenos per. Auton gar sveteresin a ta. Oh, this is a tough one. A tas daliesin a olanto ne pioe hoe carabus. Oh, this is a tough one for me. Who perionos helioio a ace. Or excuse me, ace theon. Altar ho toisin a felato nostimon amar. So, just so that you can tell somebody that you've heard some ancient Greek before, that is the beginning of the Odyssey. Now, if I really wanted to do it well, I would do it in dactylic hexameter, which you remember is long, long, short. So it'd be more like andramor inapamusa polutropamhosmala pola. And it's interesting, you can start seeing how there's an element of music to this, and when you're listening to it, you could kind of sit there with your mouth kind of hanging open a little bit and go, yeah, yeah, I'll listen to this for a little while. And that is how it would go. That is how it would go. Ponte, Petronius. Oh, yeah, just a couple more notes before I end here. Uh, one theory on this is that the Odyssey would have been performed. It's in 24 books, 12,000 lines. It takes a bit of time to perform it. And, of course, they didn't read it this time. Um, uh, is that it would take three days to perform the Odyssey. So it's basically what you would do with your night. So instead of four hours of just TV, four hours of the Odyssey at night. And I'll tell you when the traditional divisions would have been. The first day usually ends uh, um, uh, when Odysseus meets the Phaeacians, um, which we will do after many days. In any case, that's it for today.